Hi everyone, welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Desiree Drisenar, innovation activist, blue economy specialist, storyteller and external expert for the European Commission. During our conversation, Desiree will be speaking to concepts that are key in both her professional and personal life, such as regeneration and sustainable ecosystems weaved in and through the world of technology. How can one work with technology and AI while staying in close mental and emotional affinity with all that is nature? What are the methods, principles and approaches that Desiree has been exploring in her collaborations which help set up bridges between these two worlds, that of technology and that of nature? We are curious to hear how would a technology in tune with nature look like in Desiree's imagination? Join us on this episode to reflect on the inspiring possibilities that nature-based solutions can bring. We hope you enjoy it. Hi friends, we are here today with Desiree Drisenar and Maria Sialiute. Hi Desiree, hi Maria. Hello Corina, hello Maria. Hello both. And you might be also hearing my cat at times in the background. I keep trying to keep him out, but he is very persistent in not staying alone. Um, but uh, here we are. Uh, Desiree, I'm really excited to uh, know you uh, or to get to know you during this hour and to give the same to our listeners. Uh, let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your path. Where did it begin for you? This kind of like passion for innovation activism, if 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 that is a, even a term that that we could use to define it. Yes, you could use that innovation activism. I really like it. I've never been an activist in my life, but I am becoming one now, and I really love it because we are on the path of evolution, and I really like it. So, um, when did it start? For me, it started in 2013. Or maybe in 2011, I was, I had a long past in, in business. I was an international marketing manager and I was a business unit manager and I did lots of things in business. And all the time I was thinking, what do I really want and what does it mean? And then in 2011, I thought, let's just be go, go freelance. It was like, Yes, some freedom to it. I'd love it because I had these jobs and every three, four years I changed jobs. I thought there must be more interesting to do or more meaningful to do. And I never found it in, in normal business. So then I thought, what can I do well in business and how can I combine it with um, what needs to be done in the world? And in 2011, I started my own um, freelance business just next to my job. And, um, yeah, it was about sustainability. And I must say, I woke up one day with the thought it needs to be about sustainability. And I really didn't know what that meant because I thought it was about solar panels and windmills. And I was really not interested in those. So I went to the more holistic 
ways like cradle to cradle, like the natural step. And in 2013, I did the summer school of blue economy, Günther Pauli. And there my whole worldview changed. I found out that if we really get to have nature as a compass, then we can redesign all. We can redesign all human systems. And after two two weeks of uh, being in the um, University of Page in Hungary, I was just like bouncing around and thinking, ah, but what does this mean and how can I apply it and what what's next? And I came home and I thought, well, what am I going to do? I still had my job as an international marketing manager in high tech and I didn't know. And then um, a friend of mine, he asked me, well, can you give some training? Because we need to train in blue economy and you know what it's all about. So let's do that. And I made friends and I studied more. And I think until in 2014, I became full time freelance. And I combined lots of projects and more and more projects were about ecological sustainability and about how to apply it in business and science. And then I studied, I think, until 2019. I went to Schumacher College. I went to do the Breach of Capra course. I did lots of projects, lots of practical things, did permaculture. And then I, in 2019, I found my voice and I started writing. And through the writing, a lot happened, I think, because I think when I write, so I love it. I just, I've always been a writer. So when, yeah, when I just can make my stories, then I think at the same time. And then it's like puzzle pieces click in my head. And the same period from 2013, also a lot of personal drama happened, personal crisis. So I also went on a path of personal transformation. And that all went simultaneously to bring me where I am now. And now, yeah, I just do this innovation activism. I like it. <laughs> I like the word. I can very much relate to what you say that when you heard, you know, when you would hear sustainability, it would be solar panels and windmills. And I and, you know, it probably means still quite a few different things for a few different people. But what is your definition? What have you developed for yourself? Yeah. Well, it's not only for me. Uh, when I was studying, a new term emerged. And that's the regeneration. And that is all for me. So the next 10 years, it will all be about regeneration. Because I, my big heroine is Lynn Margulis. She tells us about symbiotic earth and how we should stop just uh, cutting and pasting genes and how it is all about the cells and about the bacteria and about the regenerative ones, because we can regenerate. And the word regenerate, I know that some people just associate it now with uh, restoration and the past and going back to the past. And it's not. It's really about self-healing. And I think that is what is happening right now. And the next 10 years, the next decade is all about regeneration, about self-healing soils 
and her with microorganisms and fungi and and her having this regenerative agriculture and it's self-healing human systems because we have built them on the wrong things. We've built them on scarcity and they should have been built on abundance because nature does it differently. And then it's also self-healing souls. So we have to self-heal our souls and maybe rewild our souls and not become so much about image and perfectionism and the outside world and how it all looks. But we have to be about what's real and raw and and human. And then, because humans have to do it, we have done what we do now to the planet. And although I do not blame anybody because the blaming game is really destructive, too destructive for anybody, so I don't want to do the blaming game. But I do think that there has been a lot of from the outside in, and maybe that's the masculine world where we've been living in, the really maybe toxic masculinity as well. I adopted it as a as a female as well. I've been working in 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 the business world for too long, and we've been holding up these masks for too long, thinking it was all about money and about uh, status and about wealth and about uh, impressing others and pleasing others and pleasing whatever. Mm. And now it ha- it has the time of the feminine is coming. And I'm not meaning only females, but I mean the feminine energy in everyone, in the males, in the females, in everybody in between. We need mm. diversity again. And yeah. then things will heal. So for me, it is broad and big and about everything. And that's regeneration. And this word will be loaded with all these things because it's like a brand. It's not just a word. You load things in it. And if humans understand what regeneration means, like self-healing on a very big scale, then it will be the word that will get us through this decade and through beyond. Wonderful. There's maybe a question, which is how did you kind of like, how do you hold these perspectives within yourself, right? This kind of work in the space of regeneration and healing and restoration with your background in technology, artificial intelligence, like, like how do, how do these kind of two, for me, these two worlds, they do not seem to have a bridge between them. Um, so, so somehow my question is two sided on one side. It felt like, a, or for me as a listener to your story, it feels so natural the way you progress from one world to another. But I, 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 I'm thinking, was it like that in the moment when you woke up that day and you went to that course? No, uh, no. not at all. Yeah, and then how do you bring these two? How do you integrate these two perspectives um, that are seemingly so contrasting in what you do right now? So, so they maybe let let's start with the first one. Um, tell me because it seems easy, but I can imagine it was not. Like how? What made it easy for you? Or maybe easy is just not the lens that you want to give into this journey. Maybe it's another yeah. one. It definitely did not come to me when I woke up that morning in 2011 and thought my life will be about sustainability and freelancing. No, not at all. I've been brought up very rational in a very rational family. My father was a chemical engineer. 
and he uh, worked in in um, in the nuclear space. And my mother was a words person, but also very rational. And they both, well, I'm I'm 56, you know, they were both brought up in the in the time of the war. So they both had big war traumas and they were not planning on doing anything very emotional because it just brought them back to the war. So they put it in a little drawer and then I was just brought up very rationally. And I took that on until uh, in my life. I never knew anything else. I just knew that I could understand things and I could grasp meanings and concepts and things. And then when my life broke down in 2013, all the emotions came out. And I started to learn that I have a body and not just a head, you know. So then I really learned how to use my body to come to my intuition. And for me, intuition is a space, a very calm space, somewhere beyond my rational thoughts and somewhere beyond my excessive emotions. So I, of course, emotions draw us everywhere and thought does the same. Thought always brings us to the what ifs. Uh, the whole day I was about what ifs and regrets and things like that. And now I just am in the now. And of course, I'm not perfect. I get drawn away a lot. But it took me some years to learn this. And this is how it works for me. I do live a bit withdrawn in nature. But I also became much more social now. Because I can handle it so much better now that I embrace my own need for nature and my own need to be alone and then I can also be much more social and understanding for other people and having silence in there have a silence in conversations having deep listening in conversations and then it all like comes together for me so it starts with the intuition and then I just try to uh, understand it all and that also, if I do a project, like with very rational people, I try to bring the quality in first. And then I try to bring the quantity in next. Yes, mm-hmm. so the quantity is about the, the mathematic formulas and the AI and everything. But there's also like... um um, the quality is the first thing to do. And do you encounter a lot of resistance to this? this uh, um, no, well, not in the world of regeneration. People understand it a lot, but sometimes they don't want to go to technology with me. So they say technology is really bad and we should not involve it. And I know that the new generations will want technology in their lives. So they are, I have grandsons and they love technology. They just, they don't do anything else. So uh, it will be in their lives. So I will want to find the, the bridges between the technology and the natural world. And I see a lot of bridges. Mm. So that's also where I think education should do The same that I did when I learned it, really go to the body and go to things like 
teach the young people. It's like Socrates. He was a very rational philosopher. And he said education is about kindling flames, not about filling vessels. Well, that's where we've gone wrong. We try to fill vessels of these young children with all these rational stuff. But if we just kindle flames, then they are born wise, you know, mm. because they are the evolution. And then I have this very long term vision where the indigenous people know it so well. They try to design systems seven generations ahead. Well, if I try to look seven generations ahead, I can even I can sometimes not even connect to my own grandchildren. You know, it's like <laughs> it's difficult to really comprehend how these young people see the world. Hmm. But then if you look seven generations ahead, they will be completely different beings. And they will have like I, I I like to think that they will have found the connection between the planet and the technology. And maybe they will even even be able to teleport themselves so they don't have to put in a plane and they don't have to pollute the air. Or I don't know. I just mm. I try to be imaginative and I yeah. really like to. To also look at like the quantum physicists like Richard Feynman, who can uh, he can uh, he 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 has um, he's won a Nobel Prize. And he can if you look at a in on YouTube, if you look at a BBC interview, then it is really um, it, it is really he can explain it so imaginatively that yeah. you just want to understand it all. Yeah, I I wonder this, you know, because I I find it um I I find the picture that you're drawing on technology I find it both uh, exciting and extremely scary, um because if I look at the world that we live right now, right, where where our world is is concentrated by mammoths of technology, where the people that actually build the infrastructure technological infrastructure of our day to day life are are just a few, and they concentrate so much power and. The intention by which the technology is built is not necessarily what's always good for the ecosystem or for collective. Like, it just feels like the premise and the way the biggest pieces of technology are built nowadays seem so far away from this ecological ecosystem perspective. Um, of which if technology would be an actor, I, I'm with you in this dream of, of what could happen. But it feels like it's more of a maleficent overlord um, over our daily lived experience rather than an actor um, engaging the whole ecosystem. So take me with you in this imagination. How would a technology that kind of is in tune with nature look like through the filter of maybe some of the projects that you've been working on? Is, can you can you give some examples of of how yes. that would look like? Yes. I, I I do agree with you because, yes, uh, it's all about power. And the thing is, we got stuck in technological lock-ins and business model lock-ins. Mm-hmm. Like industrial, the industrial world only happened because there were the business models for the um, for the steam engine. And then mm-hmm. we just went on with saying, OK, we need scale and we need uh, scarcity and we need um uh, yes, yeah, scale, scarcity, uniformity, because then it can be cheap and we do everything on money. 
So that is how it all evolved. And now I see a few things that are really uh, breaking this and it needs to be broken. So we need all the new things come from bottom up. And we need our leaders to understand that they need to make the infrastructure so that bottom up can be heard, because otherwise people will be left behind. And we need to make infrastructures for everybody. So all the people. And that means between, um, um, yeah, the, the, the south of the world and the, and the north of the world, because there's so much, uh, there's so much power uh, problems there. We need to have, um, how we need the, the leaders to understand that bottom up is very important. And then I see, like, I see feminine leaders come up. It's not only the females we see now, for instance, in, in, uh, New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, but we also saw it already in South Africa with Mandela. We saw it with other feminine leaders who combine different, um, bigger dashboards of not just money, but other dashboards as well. Because like we now build economy on GDP and GDP has one problem because if you just calculate GDP, you will always grow an economy when it's um, polluting because we put it in different silos. Mm-hmm. We say the business can make whatever they want and they have externalities, no problem. And then we say the governments, they are, have the job of cleaning it up. And that cleaning up will create other jobs and will create more money in the economy. So those are things that have to be dealt with. And like in Amsterdam, we now have like the donut economy coming up, which is really great because then we change this whole paradigm of how it works. So there's lots of new economists coming up. There's lots of new leaders coming up and there's lots of new technology coming up. Hmm. And then I see how we and um, what I really say all the time, we want technology to be built with systemic design, the systemic thinking, symbiosis and flow. Mm. We do have to make it flexible, the technology itself and the business model. Yeah. And, and how do you get the, the people that build it to believe in this ideology or to, to be, to be even able to kind of have an opinion on, on the need for flow or the importance or the morality of, 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 of the implications of the things that flow out of a design or another? How, how, how do, how do you think, what, what do you think helps in, in that process? Storytelling. I think we need many stories from many different angles. It's like I work a lot with uh, the mathematician who Mm. is also a botanist, Johan Gilles, and he brings flow to mathematics and to technology. Well, which is great with his formulas and with his very quantifiable things. And he can explain it to technology people. He's a very ethical man. He knows how technology can be used for good or for bad. So he's all the time saying, no, you should evolve it. You should make it better. You should 
bring the heart in there. So you should bring like ethics in there, but you also should bring like the flow in technology itself. And he says it in the very technological ways. And then I come on and I try to make it um, clear in philosophy or in technology um, otherwise than mathematics, not so deep technology or not so deep in mathematics. I bring it to normal people who want to just understand. Like, I'm a very normal person. I love to live in my caravan and just be in nature and do my permaculture stuff. And still, I am a deep thinker. So I want to understand this. And there are many more people like that. So if we can really get it across to lots of people, Mm. then a leader will understand. And if it comes to, like Jacinda Ardern, she will make, the laws to say, okay, and this is good technology and this isn't. Or we will really see what's happening there and we say, okay, how do we make the laws that are really saying, okay, we need to have everything in a business model. You cannot have externalities. You cannot pollute. So we need um, laws for that. Well, at this moment, there's even a lot of lawsuits going on to Shell, but also to the the Dutch government and things like that. Uh, from, um, yeah. And they are one because they say, yes, we should have this ethics first. Yeah, but I, I wonder, because that's also a place of, you know, where do you place the blame? Like who 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 carries the weight of responsibility and. And I wonder, I read the, no, I read, I watched, um, you know, there's this really cool documentary, um, uh, stream called Curiosity Stream. I don't know if you know it. It's a little no. bit like net, Netflix for uh, indie documentaries. It's oh, really, like- it's really, really cool. But I, I watched this documentary that talked about what makes a human ethic, an ethical creature or what makes a human a moral creature. And it, it, it brought perspectives from art, from biology and from philosophy together and kind of like clashed them and mashed them. And, and one of the things that really struck or stayed with me from that documentary was the fact that morality or ethics, they said it, it argued it was not something that you get taught or something that you get told what to do, but something that you experience as you live in a small enough community to be able to get impacted with the effects of certain actions. That is a, as a kind of a group morality that is, that is the healthy one for the social group. As the group closes, you create morality and ethics and tie to power. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you get someone or something to define the rule of the law. What is right? What is wrong? What is moral? What it isn't? But, but if you want to, to fully within your own person experience morality and ethics, you can only do that if you are we live in a in a small enough social space to be impacted by this kind of consequences of effects of choices. So it makes me think, right, in this kind of world of, of globalization where technology kind of, you know, with a click on a button on Facebook, I can watch a genocide somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I can I can feel the emotion of that genocide that I see on a clip, but I do not really feel it. I do not feel, you know, the I do not feel what it means to litter. I do not feel because, and I find that, you know, 
when I used to work in before my full time job right now, and I used to work in in government projects as a as an anthropological advisor, and and went to kind of community events in neighborhoods in in the Netherlands. You 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 get this feeling of such a weird uh, dissociation almost of 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 young people from their communities, you know. That you kind of so, so it kind of makes me sorry for this Mandarin kind of uh, uh, reflection. But I really like it because you you really yeah it's it's really it is really like that. So that's also why we should have like. Um, yeah, the, the thing is, it is it is kind of difficult because you hear people say, OK, um, like here I live in Limburg and there's lots of fear for Islam or whatever. And then they say, yeah, Islam is all bad. And then they have this neighbor and he's a nice guy. And then they say, yeah, but he's the exception, you know. So then it comes close and then you don't see them as member of that group. So that's one thing that happens. But what I always see, and that's maybe what nature is doing, we also need to make these little cracks. So I always say if we have little cracks in this armor of rationality, rationalizing everything, Mm -hmm. then the light can come in from nature because there is this universal field of something that is like enlightening us. I don't know how it works. Some call it spirituality. Some call it nature. Some call it something physics. (laughs) I don't know. There can be kinds of things. But what I see, and I always like to think that even though like these rich people and these powerful people are just in this one group where they just are with with each other on these big boats and not getting in touch with anybody who is poor or whatever. But then if one of these people has a granddaughter who is really into Greta Thunberg, then it comes close. Then it will be really the hard questions will be on the breakfast table because this girl will be saying, "Okay, grandpa, how do you see it? And then the young people will really are very, they they will say that to their grandfather. In the old days, you would not dare to say such a thing to your grandfather. But I know that if Jeff Bezos has a granddaughter like that, she will tell him. She will say, well, explain it to me. This Greta is talking to the UN and what are you doing? And then she will want to understand and then the little cracks come because, as you say, it needs to be closed. Chef Bezos will never read my stories and not be. But that's not the point. It's not just me. We need all kinds of stories from all kinds of different perspectives. And then we need really listen to each other and make it come close. And that's also what the Internet is doing and technology is doing. Desiree, I was I was wondering. I imagine you do use a lot of experimental ways in in your in your job in your professional mm-hmm. way of of uh, conveying uh, different knowledge. So, but what has so far worked maybe best for you as a method, if you like calling it a method? How do you translate this system mm-hmm. thinking to people who are simply not uh, 
you know, not, not aware of it or, or maybe even not really wanting to, yeah. to take, to accept it. Yeah. For me, it works always best to, um, work with the zooming out, zooming in. And I just take a dot in the middle and I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of my own life. And then when you zoom out, you see the whole planet, but you also see small things. It's, it's like it can work for all kinds of problems. But you zoom out and you see all the connections to things and then you zoom in again and take your next step. And I can just make a little example by the other day when I had a little problem and that was that I wanted to sell my racing bicycle and I just I couldn't find the key to the lock. And it was really locked to a gate and I couldn't find it. And we got angry at each other, my husband and me. And we said, oh, we can't find anything in this house ever and things like that. And we were again thinking we would we should have less stuff and we should know what it's for. And we should be able to find what we need. And but OK. And then I zoomed out. I really I started sitting on the on the couch and I thought okay there is this linear thinking of having a lock and needing a key and I just couldn't find it so I couldn't solve the problem with this one cause and one effect and then I thought if I zoom out then I think okay I can cut the lock with a tool but I don't have the tool because we live very small and we just don't have that kind of specialized tools so then I zoomed out a little more and I thought, OK, I use my social capital because I have neighbors and they will have tools. So who of my neighbors will have tools? And I just went a little round to my neighbors and I asked them and I had very nice conversations at the same time. And I just drank a cup of coffee here and a cup of tea there. And and I found someone with that tool to cut that lock and my problem was solved. So I think this is the way I do it very practically all the time in my life to just zoom out, see more, see the social things I have as well, and then zoom in again and take my next step. But then it's also like art is doing it because I just shared this little meme. Uh, an artist made it and I just loved it. Because it was about the sewer system and you have these little grills mm -hmm. on the street and it says the sea starts here. And he just drew a little seahorse and he says, don't litter. And then I think this is what we should be doing to make systemic thinking come close to people because the sea starts in a sewer system. It should be on every toilet. Huh? Think before you flush because the sea starts here. Or it should be on a washing machine. Think before you wash because the sea starts here. And then you think. And the next time, at first you think, why? Well, what am I washing? And you think maybe about your washing liquid. But then you think about your your synthetic fibers and how it's putting microplastics in the ocean. So it'll be broader the more you learn. I um, I have maybe a question kind of 
uh, cooking into Maria. Uh, how do you know what stories are worth telling in what audience, right? So let's say you are like in the European Parliament or in the Commission or, you know, speaking to the board of Shell and, and, you know, how do you, how do you figure out for yourself, you know, like what, what are the good stories worth telling right now in this kind of environment to, to, to anchor the group in, in this sense of, uh, connection and humanity that we all share, which I really love. That, that That's what your stories bring to me. What do you think, Maria? Yeah, when hearing Corina's question, I was thinking of your perspective. Maybe you, do you really have to segment the audiences, actually? Maybe it doesn't always make sense. Maybe we can also sometimes just bring our own perspective and not... Uh, necessarily think of what this audience would should hear yeah. but this was okay. just something that crossed my mind now <laughs> I, well, I think that is a very wise answer maria because what i saw like from my friend in croatia mm-hmm. ina ina matievic she is very well known in croatia for her blue economy projects and her ethical banking and she's really big in croatia But the other day she was on a stage and she's always using her intuition and she was Mm -hmm. talking about the school where they applied the systemic solutions. And then she started crying on stage. She just, she said, why does nobody find it really important, this school and these children, that they have a healthy environment to 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 learn in why should these young brains be in all these toxic environments and she was angry and she cried and she was like and then the whole the whole audience went silent and then afterwards she was complimenting in doing that and she said i don't know why i did it I was never meant to cry or become angry, but it's all so rational about. But why can we not just find it important enough to give our children a healthy environment? Why can we not have healthy buildings and find it important to be in healthy buildings, have healthy internal uh, indoor climate, indoor air quality why do we have all these toxic stuff why can we not have natural ventilation it's all there the technologies are there we just don't apply them because of money because of budgets because of whoever thinks whatever needs a school needs to look like i don't know all these rational things that make it difficult why can we not put it Health as a compass, life as a compass. Mm. She just cried in front of this very rational, very banking investment technological audience. And they really, they were, the crack was there. And maybe that's what the cracks do. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, I'm really reflecting back on my own day-to-day, uh, job, uh, in an aviation company now in, in Transavia. And, and what your stories tell me is, um, you, you create for a moment this kind of like, how do you call that? The, um, the suspension of disbelief of the, of the, you suspend the belief in a rational system in the 
in the group with your story or with your emotion. And then for a moment, people reconnect to something that is not rational, but they reconnect to their own intuition and what it tells them about the topic. And, and that, if you can sustain that on a larger um, scale, then you can get that to affect rational decision-making processes, you know? It re- reminded me, we, we've started to experiment like with the mindful minute, you know, a minute of meditation before a conversation, just to kind of feel your body, like just land effectively in a group. What what I found um, difficult in this corpor- uh, corporations or, or maybe also the government is a corporation, it's not just a commercial entity, but... It's, it's that next to this hyper-rationalization comes also depersonalization. Yeah. You know that, that to a certain extent you kind of practice dehumanization for yourself. Like you, you, you practice constantly not being within your own space and your own emotion and your own intuition. And that creates kind of this, this, this world, um, that breeds decisions like this, you know? Yeah. True. Yeah, I just read a story on The Correspondent, which is a very Dutch, very good, good newspaper. Um, they always go beyond the drama and beyond whatever is um, perceived to be urgent. And there was this, this correspondent and she said, yeah, she's been um, doing these interviews with um, people like uh, refugees And she said, uh, after three years of doing that, I just found myself doing a checklist and Mm -hmm. I heard her story and I thought, okay, this happened, check, this happened, check, this happened. And I could not listen with like compassion to her story. And it was a dramatic story. It was Mm -hmm. really. And she said, that was the moment I realized I have to do something else for now. I have to get out of this space because I get to. And then maybe somebody else has to do it. We do not have to do everything ourselves. Maybe someone with a fresh view needs to be in there and needs to do that bit of the puzzle piece. So that's also where we need to leave space for others to do it who can do it at that moment better than we can. Yeah, or differently, right? Yeah, differently. Like I know, I don't know if I would be brave enough to do what Ina did on that stage. See, she is really further than I am going on stage and really being this, this intuitive being. Like that is... For me, it works better if I write. I can do that more better. So for me, I like to have this little filter between it, like do it with my voice or do it with my writing or my words. And so I don't know. I might do it as well. I sometimes did like I did it with music together. I like that going on stage with an artist together. And then doing stuff because music makes like this, this triggers. It, it really gives a different vibe. So I like that a lot to make it not, not so rational. But then somebody else needs to be with me on stage, which makes it easier for me personally. So then I think I would love it if many more people do it. And if like, I don't know, maybe 
Now, Greta is not really taken seriously by everybody, but she has this wonderful combination of going deep mm. with emotion and with like anger and whatever. And then next, maybe come up with solutions as well, because they are there and they need to be told about as well. So what I mostly do is I also I do them in time. Mm-hmm. So I have moments of maybe cracking and doing the unexpected. And then later on, rationally and calmly, I explain about the solutions and the next steps or the next possible steps. And I think also a film like Seaspiracy, it's such a missed opportunity that it's not half about what we're doing now and half about the solutions because there is. 3D ocean farming. There are nature-based solutions where we restore nature with mangrove forest and ecological fish farming, ecological um, seaweed farming. We are now doing lots of of work with uh, fashion designers to get fabrics from algae, to make cosmetics from algae, and then also grow them locally and make sure local economies are really strengthened with these kind of products. Yeah. And what do you think? Because I, I really love what you, what you, what you've been sharing around the power of intuition and, and kind of the ability that through intuition, we can collect to more holistic spaces within ourselves, but also on behalf of our ecosystem. How, how do you, how do you do that? Like what are some practices that you use to kind of enter your own space of intuition or, or that you've seen successful that others have done to kind of like, you know, I, I almost think of it as a muscle that you train, right? Like how, how do, how do we, how can we train more this muscle within ourselves? Yeah. Well, the muscle is there and the muscle is the body. So the muscle is really the body connection. So sometimes you can do it with dance, uh, just dance from the inside out. You can do it with meditation. You can really get rid of a lot of, of all the excess thoughts and whatever with meditation. Also breath work. So lots of intense breath work. Um, there's even as uh, some of the more, um, um, yeah, more male people, the really the, the intense, like, um, I don't know if you're really very rational. It helps, for instance, to do the breath work of um, the um, uh, the Iceman, um, Wim Hof. He's really good at having this cold, and it also strengthens the immune system. And there, I also think that also food is doing a lot because we have these symbiotic bacteria in our gut, and they connect us to the planet. It's like everything is connected. And we have symbiotic bacteria in our gut, and that is the immune system. So there is a lots of things that you're, you can be doing. It is about strengthening a muscle. And for me, also nature connection and being outside a lot helps so much. Yeah. And nature connection is not only being like walking in the woods, but even in the city, you can do it. Mm. Just by breathing consciously, because then you have nature connection with air. Or you have like water connection, 
go with your feet in the river and then try to visualize how the water in your body, which is 70%, is connecting to the water of the river and gets flowing. It's just these simple exercises that can really help you. So swim in natural water, um, do the natural things, and it will really connect you to nature and all this wisdom. And they're very simple yet very powerful, right? It, it it kind of reminds me I've started having dinner once a week with a neighbor of mine. And I think it was like three weeks ago, like we've done it several times. And I was on my bike back in home in the evening and, and felt this kind of feeling of just simple happiness. Like mm-hmm. I have a friend, I've just seen a friend and now I'm going home. And it, it just feels a little mm-hmm. bit like cheesy, but it, it kind of it kind of made me realize that that actually you know, what what makes life worthwhile or what makes community meaningful. It's in those simple little things. And until you experience more of them, like to to rationalize them is so different than actually experiencing them, you know. Yeah. So uh, it's the same like this walking through the water and feeling something at at your level that that you can also read a book of chemical associations with. But it's not the same thing. True. And I think that's also why I really like it, that things uh, on the Internet become visual a lot and become like a film a lot because then you get more into it than just reading. I know that for me, I'm a writer, so it will always be my first choice writing. But I just love it because words are always limiting. They're always making something into something that it's not it has to really be heard on the other side and they will hear other things than I mean to say so words are limiting and I think together with like the sound of a voice it can help together with uh, like music it can help together with art it can help so visual things um, moving images so I'm very glad that they say that like next year, everything on the Internet will for 80 percent, 82 percent. I think they say at this moment will be moving sure. images. Mm. It's good. Let it be moving. Let it be with sounds and whatever. And then if people find it hard to make, then they will go not so very filtery, but they will just be real and just be out there and share what they really want to share and be real about it. Yeah, and, and we start sharing also maybe because that's important as well. So we should also support. One thing what I really want to say in this this um, in this thing is, of course, the power is a lot of the problem, but also with guru culture, we also think we need to be attached to hierarchy and power, and with guru culture comes cancel culture. So it is also why a lot of the feminine leaders now are cancelled because they make one mistake and they're cancelled. If we look at it like it is in Holland, like we have a prime minister who doesn't have a private life and people like it because he's very clean and very, uh, it's all, and we can hold on to his very rational things. And, and then now there is a feminine leader 
ah, she might be our next prime minister, mm. whoever. She just did a documentary. She has children and she made little mistakes there in the documentary. And people cancel her immediately, say, oh, you shouldn't do that. And there come all these communication advisors saying you should have this image and that and not do this and not do that. We cannot live intuitively and not make mistakes. That's just not possible. So it's also for us, normal people, to not cancel our leaders with one mistake made. It's very, very important. So we need hierarchy is only it only has one function in life, and that's speed. Like changes can come about with more speed if we use hierarchy. If people are a guru. But then we also know that power corrupts. So if we want to live without gurus and without these powerful people ruling our world, if we want to live bottom up and have diversity in everything, then we need to accept that we're not perfect. Yeah. That that is a that that is in itself another episode to talk about decentralized collective structures and and leadership. It, it reminded me, you know, when I, I lived in New Zealand for two years myself, and it, it has been one of the most impactful experiences for me when it comes to what it means to truly live in an indigenous. Not in, I I would don't want to call it indigenous because it's not, but like in a kind of a different for, way of non-Western collectives and communities. But I was in this um, community event where they had to um, um, uh, decide on a leader for a particular activity. And what struck me in that ritual is that they look at leadership as, as a responsibility that you take and is given from a group. Um, and anybody can carry that responsibility as long as the group trusts them with that responsibility. And that responsibility can also be given back. But uh, it, it struck me like how power was interpreted as this kind of symbiotic relationship between a, a representative of the group or a certain concept in the group and a group itself. But, you know, mm. like, like to be able as a collective to really sit still and say, on what topics are we giving responsibility to this form of guardianship and leadership? Like, like that requires, I think. Um, yeah, and then you might have different leaders for different topics. Yeah, different because yeah. then you might have leadership like the birds do it in the swarm or the leaders how the, the fish do it or how these the geese do it. They say, OK, one can go now and then next they just go to the back again. And then we all lead in different ways, depending on the function of the leadership at a yeah. certain moment. Yeah. And sometimes you need. Like sometimes you do need like a, a strong person out there that everybody trusts. And another time you need more, maybe also this really vulnerable person who can give lots of emotion in certain certain functions or certain things. So it depends on what phase you're in as a community and what function you need the leadership for. So I think it's a very good good way, but it's also far off from how we are doing it now. 
Yeah, and you know, starting to explore this this concept of of responsibility and trust uh, on a collective level, like they are they are quite they are quite uh, difficult concepts to to kind of explore um, in the mad rush of, of 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 government and business work nowadays. So maybe that leaves me to I mean the last question that I have, which is, and sorry for phrasing it maybe poorly. Because you, you kind of seem to come also from that world, right? The, the world of rationality, the world of business, and, and you've nurtured this other side of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But my experience often when I talk to social scientists entering the world of business is that they come from this kind of a different world that they really hold on to. Um, and they enter the spaces of governance of power, either commercial or governmental, with, with one a, a very kind of binary uh, position. Like, you know, I hold on this position of what is moral, what is right, what is ethical, and you are the dark-hearted capitalist or the power-hungry uh, government structure uh, disconnected from the citizens. Like, how do we, how, what would you advise somebody like that to start building maybe bridges to the, to yeah. that world? Like, how, how does that work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do recognize what you say and what I would always say, especially for instance, to also the leftist politics, because mm-hmm. of course, a lot of what I'm saying should resonate a lot with leftist politics. But they are always coming up with their little finger saying, okay, and you should do this and it should be ethical and should be moral and whatever. And I think we should stop saying it so much because I think everybody lives their life from the idea that they live a good life Mm -hmm. from a moral perspective. And I would really like to... Um, I really hope you will have Rutger Brechman in your uh, in your podcast once when who wrote the book Humankind. He's a historian and he has proven that most people can be trusted. And there might be a few evil in there, but even they have their own stories, how they came to be so uh, power hungry or so corrupted or whatever. So. Everybody has this story of how it came about. And I'm not saying that you should trust everybody because I'm really not that naive. I really think it can be a lot of harmful done if if you trust everybody. So I'm very uh, like I want people to respect my privacy. I want people to respect me. So I will really give my boundaries. but. I think everybody can be trusted in the first instance. And then if you really, I always call it dancing and daring with diversity. And that Mm -hmm. means also you need to uh, dare to come close to people, even though they think at a completely different, from a completely different perspective. And then go into the debate, not from, you say this and I say something else, you all have to add to perspectives and find the synergy instead of the polarization. And then you can build on a conversation and then you can also build on politics. So what I think we should be doing is, yes, we have our own ethical, moral compass and our own intuition, and we should work on that all of us individually, 
But then we should not cancel the people who maybe do it differently than I do. Mm. And maybe they hold a different, of course, they hold a different background. Of course, they have seen different things than I have because nobody is the same. And that's also, and then I come back to technology and to science again, the new The new science is saying that every little atom is unique and every smallest part is unique. And then every biggest perspective is connected. So if we do that all the time with the smallest in the middle and the biggest going all the way broad to zoom out again and see the connections. And I really think we will be... um, finding our way with it. And then also from different cultural perspectives, um, sometimes hierarchy has advantages, like you see in China now. They have said in 2015, we are building an ecological economy. So they are really going for nature-based solutions Mm. and going for a big scale. And they do it the oppressive way, say, just get a shovel and do it. Well, that's also a way. Of course, here in the West, you would never be able to do that because we are too, um, we have our own opinions about things. We have our own opinions about, so our big challenge is how to do it with diversity, mm-hmm. how to find the wisdom with diversity to incorporate everything, the human perspectives, the ecological perspectives, and then do it with technology, with ecosystem restoration, with economy, local economy when it's physical, um, global economy when it is immaterial. So that is also possible. And then see what is good at that moment, at that specific instance, at that specific company, at that specific um country, leadership style, whatever, and then see how we go for evolution, because I don't believe in going back. I really believe in going forward and making sure that seven generations from now, we have contributed to these different beings that are there and that are the great, great grandchildren of my grandchildren which is a good thought. I love it. I love the idea of, yeah. And then it is about educating, but not educating with what we all know, because we know so little. And we have done very many stupid things in the past. So we should not bring that on to our grandchildren and really see that we enlighten them with the things that will bring it forward Mm. and it can be parts AI it can be but we can also we need to go to the science beyond zeros and ones because then we can go for all colors of the rainbow in between and the mathematics is there the quantum physics is there we just don't understand it yet completely yeah, so you're talking about kind of like new forms of programming, right? Of of building code or that is more organic, that it's more... There's lots of things going on in that space of technology and 
Yes, and also in, yeah, technology is, of course, nothing more than what humans make. It's, yeah. it's a production method. Well, okay. that can be natural as well. Yeah. And there is also in the biomimicry, there is so much wisdom about how nature does technology and how we do it. And then if we start to understand that, it's it's just things will be completely different. Yeah. Wonderful. I have one small question, but maybe Maria has one also. One small question too? Yes. Let's, <laughs> uh, so I understood you are certainly hopeful that the the nature-based solutions will, will pick up the right speeds. But I was very curious, is there a, a, a nature-based solution that you are super excited about or you really want to see it big soon? Is there something you're really looking forward to? Yeah. Well, the one I'm really, I'm really excited about is the one that Building with Nature does in Indonesia. But the thing is that the big thing about that is not the technology. It is, it is, there is a lot of technology, a lot of engineering involved, a lot of science, a lot of measuring, lots of, of whatever. But the, um, the big success factor is the social one. Because the biggest challenge of everything is again the dancing and daring with diversity. So we need consortiums of companies, governments, educational institutes, uh, over cultures like this is a, a, a Dutch consortium together with Indonesian governments and Indonesian companies and Indonesia and NGOs. And I love the NGO that is is in the lead of this specific uh, nature-based solutions, which is Wetlands International. They are based in Holland, but they're very international and they do lots of wetland solutions for uh, cities and for rural areas. And I visited them on the north coast of Java uh, in Indonesia. And there they are restoring ecosystems with mangrove forests. But instead of, instead of planting mangrove trees, they built dams, natural dams, so that they have a natural sea defense. And the sediments are washing over the dams and making sure that all the seeds that are already dormant in the soil will germinate. So that gives a very biodiverse new ecosystem, which I love, because planting trees will always, if you plant the wrong species, you will have to do a lot of research beforehand. If you plant the wrong species, it will be... Um, it will not be able to uh, procreate. It will not. It, it will be infertile. Huh? It's it's proven. It's also in Las Javiotas in Colombia. They planted like the palm trees, and the palm trees were very um, useful because they made shade. And a lot of the indigenous plants came up underneath the palm trees, but the palm trees themselves were invertebrates. So they did produce, but they will not produce forever. So it's also maybe a way of, of uh, mm. ecosystems protecting their 
um, their indigenous nature, which is good. I, I like how nature does these things. So, um, but in a social space, how we humans do it, it is with a lot of humbleness, with a lot of listening capacities. So we have to listen to local communities. We have to listen to local governments. We have to see how local governance structures work and how we can adapt it to local cultures and local ecosystems. And then we have to create with the businesses, the NGOs, the governments, the educational institutes, and then not one of them saying, oh, and I know it all, and I'm going to do it this and that. We have to find this middle space together of a project. So that's what I see. And that's also why I love podcasts like this, like the human show, because I think, I think it is so important that we are understanding the cultural differences, even, even between areas. Like I'm in Limburg and like you, Corina, are in Amsterdam and Maria, you are in Brussels. It's like, uh, in all these spaces, the same language is spoken, uh, like Dutch, Flemish, whatever. And still we have these huge cultural differences mm. in the Dutch people, between the international people living there, between all of our grandchildren going to live somewhere there. It's all going to be different. And that's the biggest challenge, I think, because we humans have to do it. We destroyed a lot and we can also create a lot. Yeah. Beautiful. Now, I have one, one small question before we close off this, this podcast and, but maybe before going into, into the, into my question, um, it, 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 um, amazes me how you can paint this kind of like vivid pictures of, of how the world could be. Uh, and it, it kind of reminds me of my favorite science fiction writers, uh, and why I love science fiction, because it gives you tools to, to imagine different worlds. Not yeah. the worlds that you have, but maybe something that is foreign, but also something that is possible. So the ability that you have to kind of brush stroke with your words, this type of worlds, I find that really nice. So thank you for your stories. I really think that we should embrace science fiction writers, but also fantasy writers yeah. like Robin Hobb is my favorite. And she really paints pictures that are so deep and so wise, if you understand them. That is really great. And a lot of the science fiction ones as well. And I hope that lots of artists are really doing this kind of conceptual, imaginative art. Um, yes, I, mm. I join you in that desire. Um, but my question, I again, maybe poorly phrased, but it struck me maybe coming back to the beginning of your story now at the end of our hour. Um, I'm curious, what, what are the sources of strength that you find to, to be yourself in the world, to speak your truth in, in all of the things that you do? Like what, what, what makes it so that you can speak, um, strongly your, your truth? What are some of your sources of uh, strength around you or inside you? Yeah. Well, the connection I have inside me is really the nature connection. I really, I, I, I feel it and I really need to rekindle it all the time to make it, to keep it strong. 
And then there is my husband, Mike, and he's really a source of strength and wisdom and whatever to me. But then there's also this idea of of next generations. I don't have children myself, so they are Mike's grandchildren, but I love them. And I love this family connection and having these people around me and also the children of friends and and all these youngsters who are living it and doing it and and seeing how they and then I feel a big responsibility there as well to help make it happen. And yes, yeah, so I hope that older people like me will also be inspired to help make it happen. And then also the younger people will help to pick it all up and to be inspired and and to also have hope because there's so much chaos out there right now. And I sometimes, of course, I'm not always in hope. I sometimes am in big fear as well. And then I try to feel the fear and give it to the earth because she's patient. Because there's lots of chaos and there's lots of, I don't know, I, there's so much polarization and ideas of war or whatever. And then I see so many of my especially female friends, there are many of my female friends who are working so hard with me and with the others to keep up hope and to inspire all these people. And I hope that the people who are have been marginalized, I think that is the big hope I have. All marginalized people, find your strength, heal your victimhood, and speak your truth, because only then, if we combine all these voices and then with anger and emotion and and grief at some points, but also thinking with all of us together at other points, then we can really make it happen, I think, I hope. This is wonderful. I love it. Conversation as well. Thank you so much, because yeah. it always needs questions to bring it out. Yeah, I think I, I always find it uh, very difficult, uh, very inspiring, not difficult, very inspiring to listen to, to advice like yours, because I often make myself small in, in conversations where I think my thoughts are weird or are not really the ones that should should be given a voice or words. And 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 somehow uh, the the way you so unapologetically um, throw these these thoughts uh, in the ether, um, I love it. And I hope you know for myself, but also for those that listen us, you know, just just yeah. maybe I should just try it more often, even when I think in my head that ah oh, yeah. no, I shouldn't yeah. be saying this. <laughs> really, I think you should because <laughs> I, I must say I've been I've been like you a lot. I've really always tried to please and try to be like normal and not think weird things or whatever. And then when I started to do it, it really um it brought out other people who said, oh, I resonate with this. And oh, I'm not the only one with such a weird thought. And yeah. then I came and then I thought, and then I got the idea. Okay, so now I've spoken out and I'm not the only one. It's not yeah. weird at all. Maybe we are just a little group, but that doesn't matter. And like with regeneration and everything we're doing and all these ethical things and all these, 
it's not weird at all. Lots of people are doing it. Yeah, wonderful. I think we should all speak out. That is yeah. a wonderful thought to end our little podcast on. Everybody, speak up a little bit more. <laughs> Please do. Thank you for joining us today, Desiree and Maria. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Corina and Maria. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speakers' work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.